Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Some teams face many challenges. If you're the Washington Redskins, you face um, an overwhelming amount of challenges. Boy, are you in trouble if you're the Washington Redskins. Well, Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner faced her own challenge. She needed to hire a game artist, went to ZipRecruiter, posted her job, found the right person in less than two weeks. Not a surprise. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We're also brought to you by State Farm. Just like football, life can be unpredictable. That's why State Farm agents are there to help with over 19,000 agents. A local State Farm agent could be just around the block. Whether you talk in person, by phone, or through the app, State Farm is there. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. State Farm, talk to an agent today. We are brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where if you thought we were done doing the rewatchables, you were wrong because we have The Shining coming next week, right before Halloween. I watched it last night. God, that is a weird movie. Um, we have that. We have, I think, seven more after that coming this month, culminating in Godfather 2 near the end of 2000. 19. So subscribe to the rewatchables wherever you get your podcast coming up. We're going to do million dollar picks and talk about the Washington nationals and a whole bunch of other things with my buddy, Joe house. And then old friend, Dave Chang, he's in to uh, make his first appearance on this podcast. I think in like nine or 10 months, he has a new Netflix show coming and we're going to talk about that and food criticism and a variety of other topics. It gets weird as it always does with me and Chang. So that is all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, lots to talk about today. We don't have Mallory Rubin this week. She's actually traveling. She's going um, back east because sometimes the East Coast needs to have Mallory Rubin. So she'll be back next week. We are going to call Joe House. Actually, let's call Joe House. Hey, Google, call Joe House. Calling Joe House mobile. Hey, Thursday Night Rolling, Joe House on the line. I don't think he's ever been happier as a sports fan, even though the Redskins are an abomination, but you don't care because you have the Nationals, they're up 2 nothing. What's it like in Washington right now with this Nats thing? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, how crazy is it? It feels like to me a 9, but that's be, that, that's uh, reflective of the circles that I run in. And, you know, probably reflective of me being an old guy, like I'm the demo for this baseball team. They arrived, you know, uh, 15 years ago when I was in my mid thirties and had some money to go ahead and buy season tickets. So I had season tickets like I this this team was my team from the, the moment they arrived. I think that's true of a lot of folks who fit my demo. Um, you know, what DC sports fans, folks from this area who had been starved of baseball, um, you know, for, for, for decades, starved for baseball. And a lot of people disinclined to drive up to Baltimore 
and adopt that Baltimore team. Um, so I, well, everywhere that I look and see, it's red. It's the curly W. Uh, you know, it's it's hats, it's jerseys, it's hoodies. Um, and I, you know, the buses all say "Go Nats" uh, up and down the street. I don't know if I'm looking out for it or whether it, it is indeed as omnipresent as I'm describing. But uh, uh, excitement is at a high level. Let me put it that way. Juan Soto is the most popular Nat. I don't know. You know, this is funny. I asked my son, who currently possesses a Bryce Harper jersey, mm. uh, and and he and I are lucky enough, we're fortunate enough, we're going to attend Game Three, the first World Series that I uh, game that I will have ever attended in my whole life. He's wow. going to join me. We were going to do that together. I asked him what jersey he wanted, and I I suggested Soto, and he said back to me, "Daddy, I want Scherzer." Wow. I want Scherzer. Scherzer. Yeah, because he wants a tough guy. Yeah. He sees Scherzer with the ball in his hand, and he's 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 stomping on the mound, and he's grunting, and he's got that intense look. That that that's what's resonated with my kid. Now Juan Soto has other, you know, it certainly has a compelling story. Grabbing your balls and looking at the pitcher in between every pitch, that certainly resonates with me. I thought he might go for Soto <laughs> on that basis alone, but, you know, uh, he, he likes Scherzer, so I'm not going to get in the way of it. Well, I love Soto. I wish more people were actually watching this World Series, although maybe this is just where baseball is now. But they said game one was, what, the second lowest World Series game ever? I, I'm not a huge, like, oh, my God, can you believe the ratings guy? But um, it just seems like a reflection of where we are now, where the audience just gets older each year. I can't speak objectively about it. I'm so far down the Nats rabbit hole. Yeah. It's the only thing that I can really process. Like whatever we talk about football wise today, I'm, I'll just apologize now. I th This is the first time really in my, I don't know, maybe ever that the onset of the NBA season I feel disconnected from it. I've been yeah. watching pieces of games. I've been trying to get the rhythm and the feel for things. I am going to put in a bet today on a, a finals matchup of the Clippers and the Sixers. I saw enough. That's still available at six and a half to one. We looked I at am it. I going to allocate it some was capital eight to one. that. Yeah, it was eight to one, eight. nine to one for a while. Yeah. Well, now it's, now they, it's they've played games. They've, they, there's proof of concept now. Like, oh, yeah, those two teams look effing great. And obviously, there's hedges with Milwaukee and otherwise. But I, the larger point is, I just am so, you, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm a I'm a one trick pony at this stage of the the game. Anyway. It's totally like, fine. I can carry the football yeah. part. I mean, Tiger Woods shot 64 last night. By the way, Tiger effing Woods shot the best opening round in a PGA event in in almost 10 years. And your zipper wasn't even working. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, my zipper was, was filled up with a Suzuki. <laughs> uh, can we talk about you taking your nine-year-old to the world series game? I really want to walk through this with you. I, I I'm all ears. I, I mean, don't... part of the conversation today, I need help. I need guidance. Help me with this. Cause we talked a little about this the other day and I've been thinking about it. I'm not on the podcast, just on the phone. And you were saying how you're going to bring him. You're just hoping he throws five innings. You're hoping for a five-inning, 90-pitch start, get him out of there. Maybe watch the last two at home. First of all, I think you're underselling your son. He's nine years old now. I think I think he can I think he can handle the workload. I don't think you have to worry about load management. I would uh I would definitely pick two spots during the game to load him up with sugar 
So what I was thinking was, so the game starts at, it'll start what, at 8.15 your time? Yeah, r- right around 10 minutes after 8. That's exactly right. The, so I've been to a few World Series games. You know, I don't know if you know this, but the Red Sox have won four World Series this century. I don't, four, what's, what's four, the Red Sox? I don't four know times as many as the New York Yankees. I'm just done. Okay. not sure if you knew the numbers. Um, going to the World Series, two things. Everyone's instinct is to go super early, which makes no sense because ultimately it's just a baseball game. And you just want to be there when they start throwing baseballs and people start trying to hit baseballs. You don't need to be there an hour before. It's a madhouse anyway. Second, the security Yeah, but is- I, I do want... Let me tap the brakes there. I want to be there to like soak it all in. This is the first opportunity that that the Washington Collective will be assembled for a World Series since 1933, like I'm with you. Uh, I'm with there's you. There's a lot just... of pent up enthusiasm. There's a lot of like you you know the 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 coming in here as a two o uh, uh, with a two o lead. We we there's a big pent up uh, demand for excitement. I know, but I just I'm trying to protect your your pitch count. I want okay. you. To, I th- I would rather you gave up the 25 minutes before the game and got another inning out of it because he. All you're thinking about is how many hours can you get out of your son? He's basically like Max Scherzer in a game seven where you're like, I need 130 pitches from Max tonight. How do, how do I get there? What are, what, are the, what are the moves I need to make? With your son, I think if you get there like 15, 16 minutes before, you know, like 750 range. I'm you, not doing that. You, I can tell you right now. We're going to go it. in like you're 530. Gonna, you're going to shoot your wad. I'm, this is a mistake. I'm telling <laughs> you. You are right about this. You're shooting this. your huge wad. A, you're going to leave in the third inning. A, it's a premature series a series ejaculation. It's, you're right about that. That is what's going to happen. <laughs> now, one of the things I will say that that in terms of, I wonder if this is going to affect your judgment at all. Yeah. I think, I haven't got this, the tickets yet. Um, I'm still... Uh, coordinating on that. I believe they're going to be in a portion of the stadium where you are allowed to go inside into a conditioned space. So like if it's cold outside, there will be heat Yeah, and it's quiet and it doesn't have the crowd noise and the games are on, uh, you know, the game is on on a whole ton of screens and there's food in this this uh, portion of the, 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 it's like a kind of a club level thing. Um, it's a big open walking area. So I can grab him at various moments and take him in. If it feels like the our exposure to the elements is too much or if like the noise or something is getting to him, it's easy for us to go inside um, and get like a little a little uh, recharge effort. See, Does that help any? No, I, I think I think you have to have a heart to heart with your son on the way there and just be like, look at this, you little you little nine year old shit. This is my first World Series game ever. You're not ruining this for me. For nine years, I've done everything you wanted. I went on Disney cruises. I I watched a hundred terrible different child shows over the years. This is the one thing. You're giving me five hours tonight. Be a man. Be a man. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Well, maybe maybe I, I even honestly, stick a finger in his face. I don't think that um, he's going to need that because he his excitement level is off the charts already. Like this week... There was a couple of, of moments of, of misbehavior. Uh-oh. And the very first thing he said to me is, does this get in the way of, of the World Series? I mean, is, is is the World Series at stake with this? What are we talking what kind of relieved. what are we talking for misbehavior? Like a DUI? Like what was going on? <laughs> I mean, he's 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 nine years old. He's in his own world. He's, okay. you know. Well, listen, 
maybe he'll surprise you. I think Kyle, I think we should do a Twitter poll. Yeah. How long how long will House of Sun last at game three? I would say the over under is is the middle of the fifth. Right? Because World Series games, well, they go slower, they're longer, it's cold, it's probably not starting until like eight ten. And now you're looking at it's it's ten ten in the bottom of the fourth. And you have a whole time ahead. He starts to get a little sleepy. And you have a decision at that point. Do I want to buy this kid a 32-ounce Coke and also get some M&Ms to force feed him two innings later? My answer would be yes. That's what you want to do. But you might handle it differently. <laughs> I I don't feel like I can have... I, all I can do is come up with a plan. And then we'll let the baseball gods sort of you know dictate for us, drive us in whatever direction... They want, we will go in with the plan. The plan will be to arrive early, to soak up all the excitement, to get settled in, to go crazy, to root our guts out for the Nats, and then see how the evening proceeds from there. Can I give and, you some more we're advice? Just let the baseball gods decide. Buy the program. You'll never, you'll never read it again after you'll bring it home and it'll end up being like under the coffee table leg in five years, but just buy it anyway. It feels good. Feels nice to oh, buy to the put World it in a, in a little in a little sleeve. It can go on the wall. We get you know who who's our frame is Framebridge still sponsoring? Framebridge. Us? We'll put it no, in they frame haven't. No, frame. we don't we don't talk about Framebridge anymore. They haven't cared. <laughs> no, we, no, Framebridge does. They're always helpful to us. Um, yeah, I think you have to be on the lookout for the special World Series stuff, especially the hats because they have the hats with the World Series logo thingies on them. I love this. Those this are is like a great recommendation. Yeah, you want that? You want the special? You want you want to find the the stuff that isn't available at all the different merchandise places. You want to get like the special ones. And the hat, sometimes they have the World Series hats that has the two teams on them. I always thought those were cool too. Cuz mm. especially if you yeah, beat that's... the other team, it's kind of like a trophy head of the other team, right? Well, it goes into, you know, it definitely becomes uh an item uh, with a prominent place in my office. And let me just say this for the record. This is 100% true. It may not sound true. I believe that this Nats team has so far exceeded everything that I could have hoped for. I honest to God wouldn't even indulge the possibility of dreaming that they would be arriving back in Washington up 2-0 in this series. This It's such a likable team. It's such a rare phenomena in Washington yeah. to have this combination of team that's like firing on all cylinders and very, very likable that I I, I will be heartbroken if they don't win. But, like, it's an enormous, enormous success. I'm so happy about this team. I'm in love with this team. And I, I'm praying that, that, that we win. But no matter the outcome, I mean, this is the thing. I'm, I'm more nervous now than before the thing started. It feels yeah. like there's more pressure now. And the problem is Houston is so effing good at baseball. Every one of their guys is a mother effing killer. Yeah. I'm sitting petrified every time they're at bat. It's too much. I can't handle it. Houston's terrifying. You, I thought they made a tactical mistake. I would have started Granky in game two and Verlander in game three for the exact scenario oh, they're in now because I just don't trust Granky. I think you can get to him. I don't, I think he's somebody, especially down 2 0 on the road that you can get to pretty quickly. Whereas, like, if it's Verlander down 2 nothing. Now, I know, I know, look, Ver, you beat Verlander in game two, but. I just feel like this is such a strap it on kind of game. And I don't think he's a strap it on kind of guy. I just don't. Well, and, and to, to your point, like we, yes, the Nats did beat Verlander last night, but like, think about the sequence. 
he gave up a home run to the 36-year-old catcher who had had one hit in the entire postseason previously. Uh, and and all that did was make the game 3-2 to two, still super winnable by uh, well, that, Yeah, your rally, then, your rally was a total fluke. I mean, none, none of those hits yeah, were even right. that great. You had a couple walks. A lot of extraordinary things happened yeah. for, for, to, 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 to seal that win. I agree. It was just one of those games. But that's the thing is... It was one of those games. You've had a lot of those games and... Really, if you do end up winning the World Series, and I'm not going to jinx it for you, I just feel like Dave, you, Dave Roberts becomes your Dave Roberts. I have my Dave Roberts. He is the special place in my heart. And now Dave Roberts will have a special place in your heart. And we'll both oh, love terrific. Dave Roberts. Isn't it great? Are we going to send him a ring? I'll, send him a, I'll, I'll get a replica ring and send it to him. Absolutely. I'd love to honor Dave Roberts for putting Clayton Kershaw out for another inning. Oh, God he, bless you, Dave Roberts. Unbelievable. I still can't get over that he did that. I think the Dodgers would have won. If they brought in Miata, I think they win. They were, they were, that's another team that scared the daylights out of me. I mean, they're, you know, it it required a certain uh, combination of clutch play by the Nats and, you know, uh, buffoonery by the Dodgers to make that happen. Well, so with the Astros, it's funny. So you're going against them now and you know the feeling of going against that team. If I had to power power rank the guys I'm the most afraid of, Springer is just absolutely petrifying. People would say Altuve (laughs) should be first in this conversation. I just no way. I just assume Springer. I assume Springer's going to hit a home run every time he's up, and if you get him out, it feels like exciting. Uh, uh, Altuve and Springer are in completely different. They're playing a different game as far as like my level of concern about these guys. Springer is absolutely. The Mount Rushmore. He, he's a, it's a Mount Rushmore of one. Although, well, go ahead. I'll let you do the list. And then well, I'll, just I'll think share some other thoughts. He's one of those guys in big games who just seems like he rises to the occasion. I don't know what his basketball... And look, the nerds could throw the, all the numbers at me. I don't really care. I just know how I feel when I'm watching a baseball game. And that guy just seems like the most competitive locked-in dude of anybody. I don't know what his basketball equivalent would be. But, like, who is it? Like, Kawhi? Is he Ray Allen? Or is or is he better than Ray I was? Allen? Th- I think he's better than Ray Allen. I, th- I almost think it's like Kawhi or somebody like that. Even though he's not oh the my. best part in the league, like Kawhi. But how Kawhi in a playoff game hits that point where you're just like, I'm just terrified of this guy. Springer's like that to me in his bench celebrations. I, I he just seems like the greatest teammate. I'm so afraid of him. Altuve's one B. He comes up. He's like Kevin Hart size. It just seems like it would be so easy to get him out. You can't throw a strike because the strike zone is is like five inches for him, and then some. You make a mistake, and he just uncorks it, and it look he's like become superhuman. I've never seen anything like him either. Um, and then I would put Bregman third, but distant, distant Bregman, third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Bregman is very concerning to me. I don't want to participate in this ranking because I feel like it's going to come back on you. That's I fair. I say maybe maybe used against me in a court of law. Very fair. Um yeah. But uh yeah, Bregman makes me nervous. Altuve also makes me nervous, a different kind of nervous, and that's all I'll say. I mean, we're listen we're listing basically all the all the best Astros, but um but I well, do- they, they all scare me. Korea scares me. The first baseman, Yuri Guriel, scares me. Uh, yeah, those guys don't uh, scare Brantley, me as much. Brantley, you, Brantley scares me. You can Brantley looks like guys. a murderer every time he's up there. You can pitch to Guriel. 
Gurriel okay. was on my fantasy team and was like smoking, smoking hot. Oh, I'm looking at their team. The other guy that scares me, and it's so weird because it it's not backed up by anything. I just this type of player scares me is uh, Josh Reddick because I just think in October those lefty outfielders slash you know first base guys who could go one for twenty four but then have the biggest hit of the game. I hate those guys. Like Brett Gardner is another one. He's I just, one of those guys. I hate those like lefties who you feel like you should be getting out, but the pitcher kind of relaxes a little bit. And those are always the guys that kill teams in October. Well, House, um, um, who's pitching for you game three? Anibal Sanchez. Oh, man. God, he was such a stiff in the American League. How do these guys turn it around in the National League like this? National League spends more money than the American League. It should be like a harder league to be in. Well, I don't know. It, like, it runs both ways. Garrett Cole is a started off as a pirate and found his 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 true calling with the Astros. Then he became Nolan Ryan. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's, there could be some comparisons, right? Let's uh, We'll talk basketball and football a little bit. Good luck, House. I'm, I'm going to put a Twitter poll. We'll see. I have middle of the fifth for your kid. We'll see. Uh, we'll take one, one break, though. And now it's time for the State Farm Safe Bet of the Week. We're going to go with a player you can count on. Just like football life can be unpredictable, that's why State Farm agents are there to help. With over 19,000 agents, a local State Farm agent could be just around the block. Whether you talk in person, by phone, or through the app, State Farm is there. So go with the one with coverage and agents you can count on. I'm going off the grid. I'm going with a team that I did not like coming into this season uh, that I thought would win less than six games. I think their over-under was six and a half. Josh Jacobs on the Raiders, I think, is not only the offensive rookie of the year. And if he's not officially yet, I think it's going to happen. But I've been really impressed with this guy, not even when they're playing well. Like, they lost to the Packers by double digits. They were out of the game in the third quarter this week. He was awesome. He was the one reason they were able to stay in the game. And I think if you look back at that game, uh, if there, if David Carr doesn't, Derek Carr, if Derek Carr, David Carr was his brother. If Derek Carr doesn't reach out and touch the pylon and do that whole thing, uh, and that was a 14-point swing, that screwed the game up for them. But I thought Josh Jacobs was outstanding. And you look at his stats right now, he is on pace for something like 1,300, 1,400 yards. He's been... 20 plus carries and over 110 yards last two games. And when you watch him, he's just one of those dudes that he's always falling forward. He's always getting five yards when it should have been three. He's always getting seven when it should have been four. Uh, his ability to break plays. And I'm looking at them this week as they're going into Houston, a team that I am not especially impressed by. Houston right now, they're 14th in DVOA. They're three and three. Oakland's 20th in DVOA. They're three and three. And I think some of that probably got screwed up by Green Bay just being awesome last week. Their pass rush isn't great, which that would be the part that worries me with, um, you know, playing in Houston because I think he got a sack. Watson, on the other hand, um, Houston's offensive line isn't great, so maybe that's not going to be a huge problem. But I could see the Raiders staying in this game, and I could see them staying in this game because of Jacobs because I think they can control the ball, and I can I think he can do his thing. So watch out for him. He is my player you can count on this week. State Farm. Talk to an agent today. So did you see the LA versus LA game? I talked about it on the last podcast, but was curious for your take watching um, LeBron, AD, Danny Green, and a bunch of mediocre to worse guys. 
I um, caught the entire fourth quarter because that's how I uh, decompressed from the the high anxiety of game one of the World Series where the Nats were up 5-2 and then two of their relievers gave up runs in each of the successive innings. So I needed at least an hour to like calm the F down, yeah. which meant that I was up plenty late uh, and had lots of energy for that Lakers-Clippers game. Now, when I came in, the Clippers were up by enough that the game was kind of already decided, but I was taken by a few things. One thing that I was taken by, and I know that you've already covered this and there's been the the commentariat has chimed in. The Lakers have to get a traditional point guard to play point guard. It's, they, they, they cannot do this experiment of LeBron playing uh, point guard and setting the table for Anthony Davis. And the, the Lakers also gravely missed Kuzma. Gravely and greatly. They Both of those Gs. They missed Kuzma. I am reserving judgment on what I observed from the Lakers until they have that team fully uh, together. They, I, I swear to God, they need to go out and get another point guard behind Rondo, another yeah, can't be, point guard to play point guard. Can't be Avery Bradley either. I came home and no. did 20 minutes at the top of my pod the other night, and I hadn't read all the Twitter stuff. Um, I took Twitter off my phone, which has been surprisingly refreshing. But... Um, I didn't realize, like, I knew they were posting up too much. And I even made a joke, I think, when I did the pod about how Vogel is running his 2012 Pacers offense. I didn't realize <laughs> how many times they posted up. It, it was kind of a a number that was so far out of whack with what I ever would have expected them to do in a basketball game. I, I just have no idea why they weren't doing more high screens and all that stuff. But the, the most glaring thing to me is if LeBron's going to play point, just the amount of work it takes, to, especially if if the other team is pressing him up the court, it's just like wasted energy. It doesn't make sense. He can you can run the whole offense through him anyway without him having to feel like he's the point guard. So I'm with you. I don't know who the acquisition is going to be. I I don't want to really overreact to anything I saw over the first two days. I think it's I don't think it's an overreaction to say seven of those guys he was playing with are not good, but. Um, <laughs> That that's not an overreaction. That's true. From what I saw last night, without overreacting, because Ben Simmons has done this before, where he's looked awesome, and then all of a sudden you catch him in the right in the right game and he disappears and he's not shooting anymore. I I was impressed with how how committed they were to getting him going in that first Celtic game, where they were basically like, "This is not Embiid's team. This is both of your teams. We need both of you guys to go," and. uh and they were like posting them up and doing all kinds of different things. I just thought you, you, me and Rosillo all love Philly with the over heading into the season. Everything I saw last night confirmed it. I think they're really dangerous defensively. The, the, the Thibault and Richardson and Simmons, these guys they have on the wings Embiid, Horford. Um, it, it's just, they're just a bitch to play. They, every time you looked out, they had four really good NBA players out there. And, uh, and I, I I didn't see anything yesterday that didn't make me change my opinion that they're going to be really, really good this year. This is a terrific segue into um, the point that I wanted to make. I wanted to uh, also heap some praise on the Clippers and what you just described in terms of what the eye test produced watching the Sixers. We had kind of a sense going in. We had a thesis about how the Sixers are going to work. To me... It was confirmed. They are a mature team. 
They are a super athletic team. They are uh, a team that is going to win a huge number of games by way of defense. Like you, we, last year, we we did this thing about you know bet the over um, relentlessly, pound the over in at the beginning of the season because the over unders are still getting sorted out. Every I'm going to pound the under on Sixers games until you know uh, uh, further notice because they are so like the Celtics could not do anything. Now Kemba had a bad night shooting. Tatum had a bad night shooting. Yeah, but here, and, here's the thing with know, the, the Kemba though. The reason he had a bad night shooting was because the Sixers are just really long. He it, crazy it was, long. He was four for eighteen. He didn't shoot well. He missed some open shots. The Celtics missed a ton of free throws. It was not the Celtics did not play well in that game. But yeah, I thought it was. I was really dubious of their ability to stop other teams' point guards. And you know, especially a team with size like that, you'd figure out oh, well the one problem is going to be this. But the length is a problem. They can Kemba was open, and then now you have like a six eight guy closing out on him. And uh, I it confirmed what we thought. And I I still feel like they're a guy short. I think they have a trade to make. I'd like to see them get some sort of borderline heat check guy off the bench so Thibault could play more and stuff like that. But um, same thing with the Clippers though. Right. Where we talked about the uh, eye test, like, man, when Paul George comes back with the with the guys that we saw in that game, and you just give Paul George, you give Patterson's minutes and some other people's minutes to Paul George, that team's going to be a bitch. I um want to ask your your opinion of this. I uh, immediately upon the end of that game went online to see if I could get odds for Kawhi as MVP. Hmm. And I know all the arguments against Kawhi winning the MVP. Load management, it doesn't really make sense for the Clippers to go balls to the wall and win 65 games this season. And, you know, a, a lot of stuff, uh, they're built for the for the playoffs. They're built for success in the postseason. But what if, and based on what I saw, there's no reason this can't be the case. They are so deep. What if they just go kick everybody's ass because they have so many interchangeable parts Speaking of a mature team, an athletic team, a team that with a defensive concept that is going to be, you know, relentless, they just might go win 60 some games without even trying. And if Kawhi, uh, with the with Paul George's addition, hmm. um, is able to like play in most of the games, I, I, I mean, if he's still, uh, he, he was in double digits as an MVP candidate, uh, before the season started, if he's still in there, I might put a little sprinkle on Kawhi. What, what do you think about this? I agree. I thought I thought it during oh. the game actually because I was thinking about the stuff that is in play for him potentially this season, and it's not just being the first guy to be the best guy on three different finals teams, right? Although he, arguably he wasn't the best guy in 2014, but whatever. The a signature guy on three different finals teams is pretty rare, but. The one thing he hasn't done is win the MVP yet. He came close in the right. uh, the Harden Westbrook season, but it didn't happen. And then last year he didn't play enough games. Um, it seemed like they were very committed to a substitution schedule with him, where he he came out at specific points and it was prearranged, and then he went back at specific points. And you know, it seems like they probably want him playing. I forget how many he ended up with, but thirty four to thirty five against the good teams. Maybe that lessens a little bit. The Mo Harkless thing is a, is a big thing for them. If he plays like he did opening night, that'll be able to, you know, he'll be able to take some 
defensive load off him too, I think, in some of these lesser games. So I'm with you. The guy that jumped out to me last night, and his odds were suspiciously a little bit low anyway, um, but not low enough to still jump on. But Luca made a jump. He just looks like he he looks like he's in better shape. It was there was some of it in the preseason, but it was confirmed last night. Just I, just looks I, like I just, he's at another level. And if that team wins forty eight, it's in play. I didn't have the heart to do it because it's the first game of the season. I'm all the way committed to the to the local baseball team. But before we start getting super excited about Luca and his performance against the 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 the, the Washington Wizards, yeah, let's just tap the brakes. The, the Wizards have one and a half legitimate. NBA players. I'm with him. One, one, one and a half. I so just like I just I'm like not, that he's I'm not in ready shape. to crown his ass. I like I like that he's in shape from what I okay. could tell. And I think his team is okay. a lot better and fits him better, more importantly. Like he's surrounded by shooters now. So the other thing is he's just kind of a sneaky rebounder. Like he had nine in the first game, but if you look back last year, I think he averaged seven a game. And he he does have the possibility. Let me just lay out the Luca campaign for you. If he's like 28, seven and seven on a Dallas team that wins 48, it's in play. I don't think he'll win it, but I think for, I think for, uh, for what his odds are, he seems to be the only value. The only other one I would say is Simmons, but I I wouldn't advise that one. If you're just looking at long, long shot guys. Um, I have one question for you. I want to stir up some shit. Yeah. The Celtics aren't going to make the playoffs. As you sat there. No, 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 no. This isn't directed at you. People are going to get mad because you, we're already notorious Laker haters. Um, you sitting there, you're watching that game. Did it cross your mind at all in any way, shape, or form that Anthony Davis might not stay in L.A. next year? Is there any possibility? No. Is there any sequence of events <laughs> under which A.D. playing with this team, you know, sees the load, sees the direction, like... That Lakers team, how much better are they going to be? How much better can they be from this season to, to next season? Is, is this, are we going to see anything along the way here where it seems like AD might be taking his time on the extension? I, it did not cross my mind because it really seemed okay, like him. Okay, okay. Would, I'm just starting up some shit. No, I like it. Believe me, you're, you're making me happy. Um. <laughs> Watching it in my seats and trying to watch all the body language chemistry stuff that, you know, I love to look at when I'm at games. I felt like him and AD were really aligned and we're actually aligned to the point that it felt like it was those two and then everybody else on the team, which I don't think is necessarily a great, it's not a great, LeBron does this. LeBron can either be the super inclusive LeBron or he can be the, we're over here and I wish we could do better with the other guys here. He kind of was in both worlds during that game, but I also think the Clippers are really good and there's a chance that's the worst the Lakers are going to look because the Clippers just have a lot of people to throw at their best two guys. So that's a, that's a fair point. Actually, I'm rooting. I would just for Laker nation. I bet on the Lakers with my money. Yeah, he did. did. Podcasting and otherwise uh, on On the the Lakers over 50 and a half games. So, so don't at me. I like the Lakers. I'm rooting for the Lakers. You don't like the Lakers. Me. You like the financial incentive wow. of liking the Lakers. Correct. 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 The other thing I noticed last night, 
and you know, it's, it's game one, whatever. But, um, OKC, I think we undervalued when we did the over under pod, at least two of us did. Maybe one, one of us went over. I don't remember. I know I went under. I took the over. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I took the over. I think if we did that over under again, I, I, it should be in the 38, 39 range. They have a lot of really good basketball players. Like, They're professional. That's Shea, a professional basketball team. Shea Gilgis Alexander looked awesome last night. And my biggest hesitation with them was that him and Chris Paul just made no sense together and wouldn't be able to play together. And actually they made a lot of sense together because they're both really smart. Shea played off the ball way more than I thought. Chris Paul's used to playing off the ball from being with Harden for two years. And I, th- I like the vibe between the two of them. Defensively, they were better than I expected. They still have Adams. They had Gallinari. But um, they just it, it just seemed like a professional basketball team to me. They went to Utah. They almost beat them. They were in that game. Basically the whole way, and Mitchell made a couple shots and they won, but they held Conley. I think he was one for 16. He was terrible. And I just think we're going to hear from them. I, I had in my head the Kings as a fringe playoff team. And now if I had to do that over again, not not just because the Kings lost last night, it just I didn't love what I just saw in general from the roster stuff and the stuff Luke Walton was doing last night. I would switch those two if I could do it again. I, I will say, uh, to our credit, we all took the over on Oklahoma City at 32. Oh, we and all, we all went over. Oh, good. I forgot. We all went over. Okay. Yeah, I pulled it up. You you uh, have a pretty firmly held conviction that Chris Paul is going to stay with OKC this year. And if that happens, then then it's a, it's a great, there's a lot of value there. Yeah, you're right. That's why I went over because I didn't think they're going to be able to trade him. Now, it's interesting watching him last night because he looked good last night. I, maybe they will be able to trade him. Well, how about this? The the there's no way this can happen, but the team that just for the richness of the narrative and what I like about how open the season feels, Milwaukee? I'd love to see him on the Lakers. I'd love oh. to see him playing with LeBron and AD. I don't think I, it can't happen. It's the money it's can't not happen. possible. Milwaukee can the money happen. can't happen. Milwaukee can happen. Yeah. But, oh, well that's a that's a game changer if Milwaukee for, for for Milwaukee. The funny thing about OKC, they're a guy short. And the reason our guy short is because they traded Jeremy Grant for salary cap relief. Ferguson played twenty four minutes and went zero for zero from the, from field goals, minus nine. <laughs> oh, the, and Schroeder had to play thirty one minutes. He was one for eight. So, Ouch. so if you just gave Grant like thirty of those minutes, I think they actually probably would have beaten Utah. But the thing is, they have a hundred picks. So actually, I was thinking watching them last night, like they actually might be a playoff team if they made a trade. I don't know if they would give away one of those dumb firsts they have, not not the good ones, but like the the lesser ones. But um, so I noticed that the uh, the other thing I noticed, I don't want to overreact from it because Sacramento was terrible, but it was just interesting watching Rubio on Phoenix. I didn't like the signing. I thought they overpaid him. But a lot of those guys have never played with a point guard before. Like I'm not sure Devin Booker's ever played with a real point guard, and that's true. DeAndre Ayton right. definitely hasn't. And you go down the line, and right, it was just somebody who knew how to run an offense. He got, you know, he would drive to the basket. Somebody would cut. He would actually give them the ball for a layup. It was all stuff that wasn't happening with them last year. So I, I'm monitoring that one because I think we might have been off on. I, I think we all went under on Phoenix. It was like 27. You, something that's like incorrect. That. You're wrong. 
I went over and Rosillo went over. You were the only one who went under. Oh. The problem is they have to win. The over under is twenty nine and a half. They have to win thirty, and that feels like uh, you well, know, that might not that uh, might not happen. A tall order. Twenty nine. But is they have high. a bunch of pro- professional guys. Ubre looked pretty damn good. Like that. All of the things that that that. Uh, uh, you know, are, are, are his attributes. They were out there in full force. He's, he's dunking with the left hand. He's running the floor great. He's playing great defense. No, I mean, Phoenix at least is, like, interesting. They'll be kind of fun to watch occasionally. Rubio, hey, I love Rubio. If you go back to my 2009 draft diary, when I'm just having a heart attack, that David Kahn passed Rubio and Curry <laughs> with those two picks. <laughs> I was actually more upset about Rubio. I loved Rubio and Curry. I was mad that everybody was passing on those guys. I thought Rubio was really going to be special. And Kobe went into his knee and he tore his knee and ended up on a couple weird teams. And it never just totally happened. So who knows with him? Um, all right. We got to do, we got to do some football. Sure. Even though, even though you've already admitted you don't care. Well, I mean, I, I care because I've been on a horrendous, this is what happens in in life. If you don't really dedicate yourself to to your to your betting craft, yeah, I've it goes bad. Two two disastrous weekends, and I didn't even like bet money. Money. I I think I only bet a little bit two weeks ago. But I've been traveling and like trying to do stuff on the fly. You can't research the NFL on, on the fly. You have to. I sit remember down you for go back hours and think it through. I, my book tour in 09, I think I was doing well. Yes. I went on that book tour. I think I went like six for 40 the next three weeks. It completely fell apart. It's hard. There's I've had two, people get two injured. You don't know. Four and 11. Yeah. It's I tough. know. Oh, I forgot to mention one NBA thing. Whiteside had a big game last night, and I actually think that's a bad thing for Portland. I think the worst <laughs> thing that could happen for him is, him is for them is him getting good stats because that will make them think, Oh well, maybe Whiteside, and that, and you're just not. It's not happening with that guy. So the worst thing is is him thinking. Yeah, let, forget about them. It's him. You you need him. Whiteside's like, hungry, and him with his head on right. <laughs> Whiteside's like, forget about the big two. It's a big three. Really, no, it's actually not. It's still a big two. You're over here. Just grab some rebounds for us. Uh, all right, yeah. football. So we have, we have. Uh, I lost eighty thousand last week. I did something dumb. I love the Colts. You weren't on last week. I'd I love- was on last week. Oh, you were? Yeah, we, we, but did, I, it, we did it during we, the basketball. We mailed it in at the end. It, you were barely involved. I No, uh, w- by the way, uh, why do you think that we're down? You bet a half million on the Colts. I know, but then I took the other half million and I put it with Niners and Pats and I teased them with five teams. Two of the five teams won, but then as the caveat, it was like, whatever I win, I'm trying to middle with the Jets plus 10. So I lost all that money. So I ended up losing 80000 Why'd you do that? Because I'm a you moron. You said you were going to do it. What are you talking about? You I'm said dumb. You, were, you, you said you were going to do it, and then we made fun of you, and I thought that was sufficient to talk you out of it. Did um, I do it or and, not? No, I did it. I ended up doing it. You're a dummy. Why I did think you I do did that? It. I think I'm down 80 k Well, here's, okay. here's what we're doing for this week. Joe House, I don't know if you've heard of a team of the Indi- of, named the Indianapolis Colts. You heard of them? <laughs> I I just just recently was introduced to them. Jacoby well, Brissett. I think we've had them every week, and they've come through every week but one when they were banged up. And I think they're going to come through again this week, but we have to put them in a tease. They're favored by six points against Joseph Flacco and the Denver Broncos. 
I don't know if you're familiar with Joe's work, but I'm not a not a huge fan. I <laughs> really like this Colts team. I think they have a chance to not only solidify their standing in the AFC South because of another thing that I think is going to happen this weekend, which I'll talk to you about in a second. But more importantly, I think the Colts have proven now that they can win close games, whereas Denver has proven the opposite. If it's a field goal game, they'll do something dumb in the last minute, the last five minutes. Maybe it's not that close. I'm putting them in a tease. All right, so who are we teasing them with? Teasing them from minus six to even. The Detroit Lions. I'm always hesitant to trust Matt Patricia. I think with reason, right? Well, he he really, really effed us hard <coughs> in a soft spot last week. I mean, Detroit had 10 million ways to cover that tease up to 11 and a half. Yeah, and they just were, were insistent on not covering that. Even like missing a two point, like the whole thing. I actually still think they're pretty good. I don't think they're great, but I think they're pretty good. The advanced metrics, they're 13th in DVOA right now. They're playing the Giants. The Giants are 27th in DVOA. The Giants are awful defensively. They're they awful. They stink. They're they cannot fucking stop anybody. terrible. They suck. And they've won, they won that one game a few weeks ago, and everybody got excited about Danny Dimes. He's been horseshit ever since. And I actually feel like this line, this line right now is Detroit minus six and a half. And Detroit's two, three, and one. It's actually weirdly a must win for them. But the Lions have hung with every team they've played. Even last week, they were in that game. It was a three-point game oh, they, if they made it a two-point. It should have been a one-score game. It should have yeah, been a one-score game. That at was the a, end. that felt like a close game. So um I love teasing them with the Colts. All the Giants have to do is lose. All the Colts have to do is beat Joe Flacco by one point. And I win my tease. How much would you put on this out of the available one million? Wow. The tease is is the Colts and the, the Lions. And it's in Detroit. And in uh, Indianapolis. I have two home teams. I, yeah, I like that a lot. I I that's like a that feels like a third. Of our pot. That feels like a $333,000 wager to me. No, nah, we're going higher. We're going half a million. So that's wow! one. Yeah, that's Blow one. Blow it out. The second one I really like is the Carolina Panthers, who I've been enjoying for a while now, who have been kind of under the radar because of this Kyle Allen thing. Um, All of the numbers of them are pretty good. I think their defense is actually really good. And I'll tell you, this Niners team, I'm not against this Niners team. And, you know, I know they're undefeated and I know we've said nice things about them on the pod. They've been a pleasant surprise as a contender. There's some things I'm not crazy about with them. I'm not, I don't really like their receivers. I'm not positive they can block for Jimmy G that for that long. If you go look at the NFL's next gen stats, the, uh, the numbers for how much time he has to throw compared to the other, to the best quarterbacks, it's like a half second lower. And I noticed that yesterday with your, uh, your beloved Washington Deadskins, they're actually pressuring him in that game. I know the weather was bad, but no, no, you're, this I, is a great point. I agree with this. And, and I will say that game was in doubt for yeah. all the way up until, until like, the end, seriously, five minutes left in the game, four minutes left in the game. Washington's defense played Great. I mean, 
I know that that it was a footing and the weather and everything like that, but they did put pressure on Jimmy G. And the other thing about that San Francisco offense, I'm not blown away by their skill players. Not like, at all. There isn't anybody out there that scares me. There's speed on the edge or nope. I mean, there, there's a running back that's going to get loose. And I, I didn't see any of that out of them. Well, Debo Samuel was hurt. Now, I'm not, he's 21 years old. I'm not sure how, how much that's going to impact them. They did trade for Emmanuel Sanders, but I think it's tough to work a receiver in. It does seem like you can just double team Kittle and that's it. And they're also a team that when they have the lead, I think they're, you know, they're up 10. They can start running the ball and doing play action, that stuff. When it's a closer game and Jimmy has to make some plays, I didn't feel like he had the protection. And I'm sorry, I don't think Washington's that good. So they're number two in DVOA. Carolina's number nine. I, I just like how they've played. I think their defense is good. As long as Keekley's healthy, it's always, you know, they're always a notch above than when he's not in the lineup, which, you know, we're right around the time when that's going to happen again. But they have receivers that can make plays. And McCaffrey's fucking awesome. And I was really surprised by this line the more I thought about it and looked at it. The Niners are favored by five and a half. And I think the line should be four. I don't think there's much separation between those two teams. So what do you think? I, I was thinking 250 on the Panthers plus five and a half. The Panthers plus five and a half. Wait, it, the Panthers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, just, uh, just you're not going to, there's no tease to this. No. Nope. This is just the Panthers. Yep. Yeah, that's fine. I I, I, I support that. That's a, that's a fine way to play it. Yeah. They, they, this feels like a field goal game. I wouldn't be surprised if, if, uh, the Niners win again. Shanahan's smart. They're good. You know, if Garoppolo doesn't commit mistakes, Carolina's been on, speaking of, of committing mistakes, they're so impressive in terms of like uh, not beating themselves. That's the thing with this run um, where, where they they made poor Cam irrelevant, uh, but they don't beat themselves, this, this Panthers team. Yeah, I'm looking at right now the Panthers are four and two in a in a conference where Ten wins is going to have to make the playoffs, unfortunately. But they they lost their first two. They beat the Cardinals by eighteen, which is slightly more impressive now because the Cardinals have been hanging around. Beat the Texans by six, beat the Jags by seven, and beat the Bucks by eleven. This would be their best win. I don't know if they're going to win, but I think they hang around. So that's my second one. Yeah, I, I that's right. That's a good bet. All right, so with two hundred fifty k left to play with, I'm giving you two games, and I could either split it. Hey, so just we'll walk through it. The Raiders are plus seven. They are playing at Houston. I keep watching Houston and I'm not totally seeing it. I I, I think they it's Hopkins and that's it. Will Fuller, Will Fuller always gets hurt. I don't think the running backs are very good. Watson's running for his life half the time. Oakland doesn't have a great pass rush, but um, I'm not sure that matters in this game. And then... Um, you know, I, as I said in the State Farm thing before, I just really like Josh Jacobs. I think I think he allows them to hang around. They can control the ball. They're always it's always second and six or second and five with them, and I think they can hang around. I thought they were in that Green Bay game last week. Weirdly, they weirdly they kind of gave it to them for that first half. They made a couple of mistakes, and then the game got away. But I think Houston is not nearly as good as Green Bay. I don't think they're as good defensively either. And that line is plus seven. So I have two things that make me um, slightly disinclined to mess with Oakland this week. 
The first thing is, this is their fifth consecutive game on the road. Jesus. They got, you know, they they treat that London game as a home game. They were the home team for that. Yeah. Um, but that's not a home game, obviously. That's in effing London. Uh, so I just don't, it feels unprecedented to me, honestly. Five games in a row on the road. It's incredible. Yeah. The other thing I don't love, they just traded their cornerback, Gary and Conley, on Monday to the Houston Texans. Oh. Now, wh- wh- why Why did the, the, this, this game was on the schedule? You feel like Oakland knew that they were going to be playing Houston. Why would you trade this guy to the team that you're about to face? Do you think that Conley has some things to say about about game plan? All right, let me teammates? let me give you the other team I was looking at. The Bills are minus two against Philly. The Bills are home. The Bills didn't look great last week against Miami. That was basically a three point game. They get an onside kick touchdown, and now I think people are a little bit off the Bills. They're like, ah, well, Fitzpatrick was moving the ball on them. How good that defense can be. I'm going to make the case for them just quickly. If there's ever a letdown game ever in the history of mankind, isn't it going against a Dolphins team that's openly tanking? When you're favored by 17, you're a young team that hasn't really done that much yet, and you just feel like you can show up and win. And they obviously felt that way. They thought they could show up, do their thing, and whatever. Um, They're 21st in DVOA, which is not encouraging. Their defense is 12th. I watched them. I watched every play of that Pats game. I think their defense is actually really good, and I think they have a good performance in them that we haven't seen yet. And then I see that Philly game, which I watched every play of that Philly Dallas game on Sunday night with uh, with Kyle. I didn't think they could protect Wentz. I think they have trouble. I don't think Alshon Jeffrey's the same guy anymore. They don't have Deshaun Jackson. I don't think they have good receivers. Um, you can kind of at least try to take out their tight ends. Their running backs aren't great. And then defensively, you can throw on them. The line feels like it should be minus three, and it's minus two. And I feel like I'm getting a free point. Talk me out of this one. No, so I kind of share your view on this. I I mean, this is an absolute positive must-win game for the Eagles. They cannot lose this game. So that would be the reason you would just sort of tip your hat to Doug Peterson and what he's created in Philly and they have in the past been up to the moment that should have been part of the prevailing dynamic last week though against division rival Dallas Cowboys where a win in that game would have you know solidified their standing and really stabilized their situation they didn't just lose that game they got their ass kicked they yeah. weren't in that game against against Dallas they can't that there there's something going on with their secondary like there's too much pressure on their secondary they're not getting any pressure at all up front did Fletcher Cox finally get a, a quarterback did he touch a quarterback finally I don't, uh, I don't last think he week. did but they 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 are they can't put any pressure and it's just too much pressure on the secondary also the Eagles uh, offense has not hit 300 yards twice in the last three games. They haven't generated 300 yards of offense in in, in, in two of their last three. They, I, I don't like the, the idea of them generating 300 yards against Buffalo in Buffalo. I, I'm kind of liking this Buffalo game. Okay. So we'll put 200 on that. And then for the last one, um, I wanted to do a crazy parlay. I love crazy parlays. As a winner of a six-way parlay this year. 
Colts and Lions just to win. Raiders plus 250. Panthers plus 210. 19 to 1 odds. I don't like the Raiders. You don't like the Raiders. I don't think they're going to beat Houston. So you lose that parlay. So you're saying Lions, Colts, Panthers to win plus 210 plus 477 is that parlay. I kind of like that. That one I like better. Okay. Because the Panthers, this is kind of a statement game for them. Like we're going to see what class they belong to. You know, yep. uh, San Francisco has demonstrated their, you know, their kind of class. They're in that upper tier. We still, for the reason you went through all of their wins, some good wins in there, but no like real statement game. This is a statement game win for them. That's worth the juice. That's worth, you know, nearly five to one return because we feel pretty comfortable about the other two, which means one of those two is going to fuck us. But I think both of those are well-founded. Last one, Panthers, Raiders and Dolphins all to win 77 to one. That's, I mean, that's worth 50 bucks. I'm going to put 10K in that. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. the Dolphins are in Pittsburgh, and I actually think they could beat Pittsburgh. They're 14-point underdogs. They are um, they are 6-1 to one to win. It's not inconceivable, right? Really, would you be blown away if, like, Mason Rudolph lost to Miami? I wouldn't. No, and, and they played... You know, they they've rounded into form. They they started to look like an NFL team. They they could have beat the Redskins, the Deadskins, uh, at home two weeks ago. They were competitive with the Bills for for virtually that that whole game. I mean, the only way the Bills uh, covered the the tease for everybody was the onside kick return. I know that was, it was a miracle a miracle tease preservation move. Um, so I I. No, we're, the, the Dolphins are finally a legitimate professional football team. Them, you know, winning a game at some point is not out of the question. What are the Nats odds to win the World Series right now? I can't look at it because I feel like anything that I do at this stage, the the, the real regret I have, I'm going to give a shout out to my boy, uh, Big Al McMorty. We've been talking about this. He gave out on his service on September the, the 18th, no, September the 9th. The Nats at 18 to 1 odds to win the World Series. 18 to 1. Now that is a, 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 a juicy tidbit. Big, big Al McMorty.com. I wish I'd gotten on that. Now I can't touch it. I'm I'm sure that that they're uh they can't be even even odds, right? They're minus two fifty. Right. <laughs> I mean the the number of times that it's, it's like eighty-eight percent that a team that goes up two zero falls all the way through. I just am, am deathly afraid of that 12%. It scares the living daylights out of me. Should I emotional hedge? Let me ask you this. Should, should I emotionally hedge and 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 put no. a touch down no. on Houston? Don't do it. No, right? not on your own team. What are you talking about? Okay, good. All, all right. right. Here's where we're doing. Million dollar picks. Week eight. Lions, Colts, T's. Basically, just both have to win. That's it. 500,000. Panthers, plus five and a half in San Francisco. 250,000 on that. 200,000 on the Bills minus two at home against Philly. A $40,000 tease. Lions, Colts, Panthers. All of them have to win plus 477. And then a little 10, a little 10,000 throwaway tease. 77 to one odds. Panthers, Raiders, Dolphins. All of them have to win. That'll be fun to root for. I don't mind throwing yeah, away 10K I'm, I'm, on that. 
if you want to see something happen to my zipper, let's let let's let the first half of those games get going and and get you know something working positive for us. It could be jump right into the zipper zone. Oh, and then I'm gonna put a hundred thousand on you leaving the Nats game before the sixth inning. <laughs> the fifth inning? No, I'll be there. No, sixth five. inning. Sixth inning. Sixth. Yeah, I think right you want to get your son to get That's a quality start, five innings, and then you get him out of there. Sixth inning. That could be the one. House, uh, DC, Nationals fans, good luck. Thanks for coming on. Let's fucking go now! <laughs> all right, bringing in Dave Chang in one second. First, on October 27th, all four major sports, football, basketball, hockey, and baseball, will be in action on the same day. This rare sports phenomenon is called the Sports Equinox. And it's as magical and rare as a unicorn hitting an inside-the-park home run. This year, FanDuel is making the Sports Equinox even better. Play the FanDuel Sports Equinox free play on October 27th for your shot at at least $270,000 in payouts. Here's how it works. Pick the winners of each of the 26 games on October 27th to play. Get 20 or more picks right. And you'll split a share of the payout. It's that simple. And 270000 is just the beginning. FanDuel will be raising the payout all week if special sports Equinox props hit. Head to sports-equinox.com to learn more and make your picks. Don't worry if the payout raises after you make your picks. You will still compete for a share of the whatever it lands at. Visit sports-equinox.com to make your free picks today. Age and residency restrictions apply. No purchase or wager necessary. Void where prohibited. Payout paid in non-withdrawable site credit. Site credit expires after seven days. Terms apply. All right. We're going to bring in Dave Chang. We forgot to mention during this whole conversation that we had that he has Major Domo opening up in Vegas in mid-December. And I look forward to overeating there and then going to a blackjack table and losing money. I guarantee this happens and I'm going to be pissed the next day, but the food will be awesome. Anyway, here's Dave Chang. All right. We're taping this on... A Thursday morning, LA time. Dave Chang is here. He hosts a podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. He owns a bunch of restaurants that he runs and cooks at. He has a bunch of television shows. He's a very busy man. <laughs> it's a pleasure just to have you sitting oh, down on a couch again. Here. I know, I know. It's it it's was, been a while. It's been a while. Uh, always excited to be here. And um, last time I was here, I was, was trying to buy a house and get situated before my wife gave birth. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And we're in New York, but we are in the process of moving back. You have a new show. What's the name of the show? The new show is called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. And it uh, premiered October 23rd on Netflix. How is that for you? It. How many strange. episodes? It's four episodes. We go to Vancouver with Seth Rogen, Cambodia with Kate McKinnon, uh, Marrakesh with Chrissy Teigen, and we stay in your hometown of Los Angeles, so adopted hometown, uh, with Lena Waith. And you've done 135 interviews about this show already. I can I can see the wear and tear <laughs> in your body and your voice. Well, you know, it's interesting. I actually thought about this yesterday at dinner, when like my two favorite coaches uh, are Popovich and Belichick, and. You 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 talk about this in the podcast too. When are the what are the kinds of questions that, and it's the kind of question they get asked the most that they give a one word answer. Can I guess the questions that people are asking you the most? Yes. What made you want to do this show? Yes. 
Um, how did you pick who the guests were going to be? Yes. Um, what what place did you want to go to that you didn't go to? No, that wasn't asked. No, no, that was too interesting. It's 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 too interesting. Um, and then it was like, how is this different than other food shows that have happened? Yes. Which leads to ultimately the the question that gets asked the most: How is this not like Anthony Bourdain's show? Bingo. <laughs> it's, it's like in every way that's been asked was asked. So, uh, but people know you were friends with him, right? I don't even know if they know that. But um, do they know you were super close with him? I don't even know because, like, I don't feel like I want to bring that up, but. That has like nothing to do with it, I guess. So I just was envisioning all day in this press junket giving Popovich responses and Belichick responses, but I wasn't able to do just so. Just one word answers? Like, just get really angry. <laughs> like, really? That's a terrible question. <laughs> Next. I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the ball. So um, I need to develop a better response. But um, well, that is, I don't feel like, that should be the last show where anybody goes on location and eats. I mean, there's a huge audience for these shows, right? Um, it seems good. like a big appetite by for human beings to watch content where people are on location at restaurants they haven't seen. Well, the show's fun. We we uh, did it with Morgan Neville and the team that did Ugly Delicious. And I view both of those shows sort of on the same spectrum. Ugly Delicious usually uses food as a... Trojan horse to talk about things in culture. This is more like, I would say, like a talk show over food. We just happen to be in another country. Yeah. And it's discovering things about that city or the guest or sometimes myself. And it's just a, it's, it's a lot lighter in material, I think, even though Cambodia got super heavy. Um, and I don't know. We're, it's, it's a weird time to do something uh, that's public because if you take, uh, if it's not perfect, it doesn't make everyone happy. I think it's hard to, I don't know. I actually don't know how you do something that makes people happy anymore. <laughs> it's just like, fuck, we try, you know, people love it, but it's also like these, these, uh, the questions seem to be very irritating to me. So I want to give the one word response, but I can't. So you think we're just entering this post-happiness world where no idea is ever going to make anyone happy? I mean, we talk about this, right? It's like, how do you do something that is certain? You're certainly aware of other perspectives, but because of the time and place, you're only able to explore a couple of perspectives. How can you do a like 360 degree perspective approach on something? You know, you can't get every perspective down. So um, I, I don't know. I think you and I are wired very similar to that. We'll just try something and figure out if it works later but we want to keep moving and trying stuff. But I think I'm working on something right now that I haven't announced it that I'm like really excited about. And the rush of like, yeah, this is going to be cool. Potentially. I'm, I still, I care about that more than what people think. But what do you say? I'm also old and I've been around a while and, and I, I've learned now to just care about what makes me happy versus what would make somebody else happy. But this getting deep. Whatever project that you do when it comes out, and what if it's no matter how good it is, what if people are like, well, it's not the entire perspective. You're missing this, this, and this. And you're like, wait, like, yeah, but I I laugh at that stuff. I think everybody tries to 
Everybody thinks that creativity is some sort of checklist that you have to check mark the 27 things that need to be in there or else it's not not worthy or you missed out or you failed in some way. And I don't think anybody's, you're never going to make everybody happy. It's never happened. Even Seinfeld, which was the biggest comedy of the last 30 years, people are unhappy with that show all the time. Nobody remembers that now. Do you think this makes making creative endeavors more difficult because people become gun shy? It's Yeah. It's well, I think it's worse with writing. I, I talked about this with Klosterman a couple weeks ago. I think in general, the, I think Twitter has changed people's um, aggressiveness to try ideas um, with essays, with takes, whatever, because they're always worried about what the feedback's going to be or how it's going to be spun in a 280 character tweet against them. So they're going to gravitate toward safer plays and styles that are resemble everybody else's style. And I, and unfortunately, you know, we talk about this with restaurants and mm -hmm. stuff with chefs and when like you judge this stuff by, if you see some chef, some young chef who barely knows what he's doing and probably has this one restaurant and some crummy part of some downtown, but he's trying all this stuff and he's super creative and you almost like want to protect this person and, and help them and hold them and have them blossom and keep, the thing that jumped out at you, I think that's getting harder and harder. And I, that's why I actually feel like it's worth exploring and even talk to you about, because if people will say it's a comparison to Bourdain, I don't see what, if you're going to do any food television, how is it not influenced by his DNA in some way or fashion? And the other thing is like, I really just started to do TV and media, right? We've done a year plus of the podcast. Um, I think I've gotten, I've gotten a lot better. You you guys have no idea how tough it was. And Bill would give me shit when we just started this. Uh, but he's a great coach. He's the podfather for good reason. And uh, I want on the hundredth episode, I want to run all the outtakes of the first <laughs> the first three times you tried to do ads <laughs> at the beginning of the you tried to do pre rolls. I was like stuttering, John. This is Dave Chang. <laughs> I want to tell you about a place that's really good. Zip recruiter. <laughs> um, but uh, I, uh, you know, like you're right. Like we need to be, it's funny. It's cause like I, I'm talking about myself here, but how do we find a way to be a little bit like more nurturing? As you said, you want to try to do something and like, just keep on moving it forward. And maybe we have this problem with the younger generation because they're so gun shy of trying something because they get beaten down so badly about something. So immediately. Yeah. And I look at Tony, for instance, if you look at his first book, Kitchen Confidential, as as awesome as it is, it's pretty raw. Um, and he changed a lot. If you look at his Cook's Tour, his first show we did on the Food Network, I mean, all you have to do is go to his first season of Cambodia and you get, you're basically seeing a kitchen bro, someone that's never traveled the world. And, you know, he's basically like a, a unsophisticated cultural person that knows a lot about America, but not outside it. And then you go to Parts Unknown or some no reservation stuff that he did before Parts Unknown, and you could see the growth. And now we're celebrating Tony as this finished product, rest in peace. But he went through like a 20-year journey of getting there. I think that's what we need to be supporting is like trusting the process and not like saying, this isn't perfect right now. That's the problem. And I think this is like a millennial thing too, you know? Well, cause, cause I mean, sports is like this too. Now I'm sure I'm guilty of it when I talk about different teams or players or something where everything is about what's your reaction right now. You just saw something. What does this mean? What does it happen? Let's talk about it. And 
I think when you put a show in the world, I'm not even talking about your show, just any show. Um, it's kind of, I always look at the marathon, not a sprint thing. I always assume the first episode of a show is probably going to be one of the worst episodes. Even a show like Succession, which we stuck with at The Ringer. The first three episodes, a lot of people didn't like. But it, there was enough there. It was like, hey, the, this I got to stay with this. I don't know where this is going. And then as they got going and it got better and better, the actors got better. And um, I do think people forget sometimes that things take time. Um, yeah. and, and again, not talking about your show, but you're right. Bourdain had a 20-year arc. And I think people remember the last four or five years the most. Like the 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 statesman almost, right? Yeah. And you know, I, I hope to grow as a person. I hope to get better and and that's all I can do. But I'm proud of what we've done. I think it's a great show. I know it's getting great feedback and people are watching it. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm super critical of myself and I, I want to please everyone and everything, which is an impossibility. So there's another piece to this though. I think people just really miss Bourdain. Yeah. And I think there, it, it reminds me a little bit of anybody trying to do a food show or a food anything coming off the heels of him going away. It reminds me, you know, this is a totally different scenario and, and Michael Jordan did not die. But when he left the league again in 1998, there was a real void and it took years and years for the league to kind of recover from him not being there. And they had all these guys and it was like, who's the next MJ? Is it going to be Kobe? Is it going to be Harold Iverson? Miner. Yeah. Harold Miner is there, <laughs> but it was like Iverson, T-Mac. Could it be Shaq? Could it be Shaq and Kobe together? And the reality is there was never going to be Michael Jordan. And I think once everybody kind of accepted that we were able to enjoy basketball more, but it was the shadow that hung over those years. Then he came back. Um, I just don't, Bourdain is, is over here. You know, that doesn't mean that we can't have a whole bunch of different people who were influenced by him. And I think we're seeing that now already. I, all these Netflix, you have a deal with Hulu now too. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, I'm sure Amazon is probably coming up with some food thing. I'm sure HBO max, I'm sure all of them are trying to figure out different ways to tackle food because people don't get tired of it. And you've been on the forefront of this. Food is the cultural currency of a younger generation. Yeah, I agree. And it's so strange how that's happened. Um, people care more about food than ever before. I mean, Kyle, how old are you? 25. I think your age group and younger, in the history of the world, no one's known more about food, at least from America, than your generation. Like your kids, Bill, the fact that they know how to eat sushi in different ways and different kinds of fish, that's, that's crazy to me. And I don't know how or why, but... Food's more important than ever before, and I'm lucky that I'm in this business, but you know, I, I think that food shows are just beginning. So if people are sick of them now, they have no fucking idea what's about to happen. Well, the food shows and also the awareness of new restaurants, because I think one of the most important things that's happened the last 10 years has been even just Googling. You can Google right now. You Google best new restaurants, Los Angeles, and there'll be a brand new list from Eater and three other places, and it'll have all these restaurants. And you look and you go, oh, that's near my house. I'm going to try that. Or- Oh, a friend of mine went there. I heard about this. I think the discoverability is, has gone 19 higher levels. Think about 25 years ago. How would you have known about a restaurant? Only if one of your friends told you you saw it in a newspaper. Well, that goes back to this conversation I've been having a lot with people in the food industry and just chefs in general is, have we reached a point where food criticism, and I think that's different than criticism in general because literature, music, film, art, that stuff that everyone can sort of consume or, or like simultaneously, but yeah. 
food is still something that's ephemeral and it's separate. Is food criticism still necessary? I, of course, yes, but it's not directing you to things that you didn't know about anymore. So ultimately it's judging, does someone have a better palate and is more like more knowledgeable about something than me? But when I think about you, it's like, I want to hear your take on sports. I want to hear your take about going to the Clippers game and going there for 15 plus years and the 1984 section, all these things, because you're bringing nuance and experience to something that makes me see different perspectives. And it's not just about the game anymore. It's about, you know, different sides of culture. And it's like, I love that. I love that so much when you do that or anyone else that's an expert in their field. It's not just telling me like, I think the Clippers are better for these reasons. Yes, you talk about that. And my gut is telling me that food criticism is still stuck in a paradigm of the past and it doesn't know how to get out of its own way. Because someone's got to figure out how to basically do what you're doing for food. It's like to be a champion, to still be critical, because you're critical of players. Like I think about Kevin Durant, you're critical as fuck, but you're also like, he's one of the top 10 players of all time type of thing. Yeah. And I think- Well, do you think Jonathan Jonathan Gold seemed like he was the guy who who was able to do that the most, where- he was able to weave in the history of all these experiences he had with the restaurants that he was going to. And I, I think, I think there's some really good food writing right now. There but, are really good, but for some reason he, he was the one that seemed to have the most weight. And I really just think it was cause he had the reps in the years. I, I, he was, he was like the first of his kind. And I think that for instance, in Los Angeles, you have Tejo rail, who is the New York Times critic for California. Yeah. I think she's fucking amazing. She's great. And, you know, we'll see uh, how I feel about that if she ever gives us a bad review. But uh, she's given me a bad review before. But the Um, thing is, for her or whoever is one of the best people, you have to give bad reviews every once in a while. Because if you're, if the thing is, you just have to be honest. I try to do that when I talk about sports. If you're not honest, then people don't know whether they can trust what you're saying. So it's like part of honesty is you got to call it like it is. I think KD shouldn't have left Golden State. I still don't understand it. I've said that to him. I don't get it. Like, I thought he was in the best basketball situation anyone's ever been in. And he was like, this isn't good enough. I'm going to go here instead. Because everyone wants to hoop with DeAndre Jordan. That's why. You know, he wanted to watch him miss free throws. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think what we've seen now with food the best pieces are still a little more celebratory, which I like. You know, like Danny Chow wrote about the McRib last week for for The Ringer. I was like, I enjoyed it. I think what we've seen less and less of is the scathing takedown. And I remember like that Guy Fieri one from a few years ago was such a legendary piece, mainly because nobody wrote takedown pieces about restaurants like that. But nobody wants it kind of on their resume because you write the right takedown piece it circulated online on Twitter for a couple of days and you could actually like shut down a restaurant now if it's, if it's still, you can still like a New York times critic could make or break you for sure. And yeah. less so now, and I wonder how relevant that is, but again, going back to Tejal, I'm not trying to blow smoke up her ass, but she did a review and it's tough because she reviewed the three, three mission star restaurants in Napa Valley. You have, um, um, Oh my God, French laundry, single thread in and, um, Meadowood all from people that are close with my friends. 
And she says they're flawless, perfect restaurants if you're looking for that kind of food. But ultimately, it's like not meant for her. Yeah. I thought it was incredibly, incredibly bold for her to write that because it was an honest take. She's not saying it wasn't amazing. She's just saying, like, it doesn't move me anymore. Maybe it used to, but not anymore. And I'm conflicted because I'm like, those are my friends. I want to support them. But I'm also like, yeah, she's telling the truth. And I can't remember the last time I read something and I felt that, like, mix of emotion. I was like, that's what I want. And I think you're beginning to see a new generation and we're just at the beginning of it. And I hope that we're encouraging that kind of criticism that is constructive, right? And I just don't know if we're actually gonna like get over that hump. I think we will because I've, we've seen this happen with documentaries. When we were doing 30 for 30, 12 years ago, we couldn't even find 30 filmmakers. There just weren't enough people that knew how to make a good documentary back then. Um, it was still this art form that was developing. And now 10 years later, 12 years later, there's so many people who are good at this. And it's Why all, is that? Because it's all people that learn from the previous generations. And there's been enough documentaries now that they can watch and pick from the things that they like and don't like. And then the equipment's cheaper. You know, 20, 25, 30 years ago, Steve James is doing Hoop Dreams and they're lugging around these cameras and it's so much harder to edit. Now it's like, you know, anybody can make a documentary with with equipment that's less than $4,000, mm. you know? And and the experimentation, I see it with my kids. My kids, like, make, they have friends that know how to, like, make and edit movies now, and they're 12. And it's like, these these kids are have the experience of somebody who 20 years ago would have been 23. I'm not saying they're good or not, but they ac actually know the basics of how to cut stuff. So I think with food writing, there's been so much education now of what to do and not to do and how to be creative and how to learn from the better people that I feel like, I feel like it's on the way up. Maybe you feel differently though. Um, no, I, I it depends on the day for sure. But when you I, said it's still trapped in the past. I actually feel like we might be headed toward a new era. I think that they could be propelled and be in a new era faster if they weren't held back by the sort of systems yeah. that they're in right now. And that would be my criticism, not of the food writers per se, but how and what they're allowed to do and say. Uh, it just needs to move faster. It's not nearly at the pace that food's moving or evolving at. And, you know, that leads me to something else. Like, you know, you take, you, you give your takes on sports and I think it's informed, but if you criticize a player, I don't think that anyone's ever going to be concerned. Like maybe that player is going to hurt themselves. It's always my concern in food mm. that, a critic gives a bad review to a chef. Like, let's just say Guy Fieri. What if he wound up harming himself because of that bad review? That would be a terrible way. And again, to tie your vanity and, and like, lit, like life to a review seems incredibly stupid. But I just about every chef I know does. You know, and, and like, we I We talked wonder, about that on your pod, the first couple pods we did. Yeah. The pre-opening diary is about a couple reviews that like still stuck with you all those oh, years still later. still does. Yeah. And I know uh, there's a, like the, a chef that I know that got a bad review and he did everything the right way. And he wound up having to close his business, even though he spent like 12 years, he did everything right, checked off all the boxes. And it wasn't his fault. The restaurant didn't, wasn't misunderstood. It was just too far ahead of the, like what critics understood then. So and he was not in a good place. And he certainly thought about doing some bad things. And I'm always like, when I talk to a critic and I do talk to them, they're like, that's not our fault. 
Because I almost have to act like a ruthless sociopath to be emotionless. Yeah. But I'm also like, is that necessary? Are there other ways to construct that criticism or are you just trying to get clicks? And I take Guy Fieri as example because he's at the far end of the extreme. People do like Guy Fieri. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't like his food either. And, you know, he's a cartoon character sometimes. But I think it would be bad if something bad happened because of that review. That sucks to me. And I don't think you would see that in any other industry. But in food, it has happened. It has definitely happened in Europe. And I think recently, Marc Verrat, a guy you may not know, but he's a titan in French cuisine. I can't remember the town he's in. And he's had at one point six Michelin stars, which is like insane. Um, and he has a new, he had a new restaurant and in the first year got through Michelin stars. And the Michelin Guide, which is, if you don't know, we've talked about it before in the past, it's like a literally the entire company's guide of grading restaurants. And it's very important to some and completely stupid and absurdly stupid to uh, to many others. Um, he got demoted to two stars. And in the review, it said uh, he put cheddar in one of his dishes. Like and cheddar. most people in the like media cheddar. laughed. Well, like, I think that tone was to scoff at how silly it was that this guy is suing the Michelin guide, right? But his whole life is literally dedicated to getting three stars. Again, as stupid and trivial as that sounds. But in the region that he's in, you know, it's hard because if you're not from France, you wouldn't understand the, 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 how food is woven into the fabric of your terroir and your place. It wasn't cheddar. I can't remember the name of the town and the cheese that's specific to that town. And to publicly accuse this guy of using cheddar cheese. Again, on paper, it's like an onion article. Yeah. Right? It seems so stupid. But isn't it the journalist's perspective to empathize and to really put themselves in the position of what that might be in that town as well? He's, a, he's considered a laughingstock. He takes it as a personal affront that people would accuse him of using like, you know, orange juice instead of milk, you know yeah. what I mean, a dish. It's something so incredibly stupid. Again, like, I can see both sides. But at the end of the day, this is a guy in his career who's, like, taken it so seriously that to diminish him or to mock him or to make fun of him, that's not going to put him in a good place. And I, I have a question as to how valid this criticism is now when it's not getting it right either. You know, and they're getting one perspective right. But we live in a world where there's multiple perspectives now. And I just don't know how you get to that point of view. I know that's way deeper than I wanted to go. I'll tell you what, it made Kyle hungry because he loves cheddar. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break. Let's take a break to talk about NBA TV. NBA opening week continues tomorrow with a primetime triple header on NBA TV. First, Jimmy Butler and the Heat battle Giannis and the Bucks in Milwaukee. You get Tyler Harrow in that one as a bonus. Second, Kemba and the Celtics head to New York to face R.J. Barrett and the Knicks. I really hope Kemba doesn't go four for 18 again. My heart can't handle it. Then finally, Kawhi and the Clippers going to Phoenix to play the red-hot Phoenix Suns. They've won one straight game. It's triple the action, triple the excitement. It all begins tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV and in the NBA app. Pre-game coverage presented by Auto Trader begins at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. By the way, if you have NBA League Pass, they have finals games from the last 20 years buried in there like a little Easter egg. Go, go.
go find it. You can watch some finals games as well. Uh, all right, back to Dave Chang. I am uh, super jacked on this fucking Starbucks coffee. Yeah. I'm like shaking. We had Starbucks double shot or Holy triple shot. Sh- triple shot. You just shout it. Yeah, I would need some like, caffeine. You were like Leo and Wolf of Wall Street. Holy shit. <laughs> Soon I'll be on the payphone outside trying to get into my car. <laughs> um, can we talk quickly about the uh, Washington Redskins? Do we have to? So they're playing tonight. We don't even know what's going to happen. We just know they're going to lose to Minnesota. The only question is how badly it was. And you have these. If the Redskins actually beat Minnesota. We'll leave it in. I'll laugh. I'll be like, wow. Would that, that be considered run. one of the great upsets? Yeah, they're 15, 17 point underdogs. So all these empty seats, the Nats in the World Series up to nothing. The Mystics just won the WNBA title. The Capitals won a couple years ago. Washington is shedding its loser malaise label, and yet they're the awful Redskins. Did you ever think of a flip like this? I mean, you obviously did because you hate Dan Snyder, but. Yeah, I mean, I, and I do believe once we get rid of. Um, uh, John Wall, uh, we'll be we'll in a, we'll be in a better place the for the Wiz. Yeah, yeah, um, but that's going to take the worst contract ever signed in NBA history. Yeah, to take several years off. But I think that the Washington Redskins, and I said this time and time again, and you know, I have to commiserate with Joe House that Daniel Snyder is the worst owner in the history of the NFL, worse than the Browns family. Um, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals family, and uh, maybe the Donald Sterling of the NFL. I wrote a piece that you helped me with like five years ago where Sterling had vacated the worst American professional sports owner belt, which I called the WAPSO. And uh, I gave the WAPSO belt to Snyder. James Dolan's been trying to grab it from him, but, but I, I feel good, like Snyder he, has He's a it. good NHL owner. He is. And he's successful... You know, it, the cable vision is still seems like it's successful. Steiner's just really bad at owning the Redskins. They're in the worst position probably of any team. Even Miami has first-round picks and stuff like that. Uh, Atlanta has the ability to rebuild over the next year or so, and they have some good players. It, it's really strange to me that people in Washington have kind of – they're like widows now. It's like their their team is dead. Because it's been dead since he's bought the team. Yeah, it's I. It's so fucking frustrating. <laughs> I mean, he. We had Vinny Serrato as a general manager. Yeah, like come on, we actually had John Schneider as our GM for like a year, who is the C- Seattle Seahawks GM. We got rid of him with Marty Schottenheimer. Like, there's so many things that you could have seen like happen positively. We had Mike Shanahan. We had Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. We also had. Um, uh, God, Sean McVay. We've had some amazing coaches come through the ranks. Nobody wants to come back to Washington. And then leave, leave Treadmarks getting out of there. And I, I, I've, I felt this way when I decided to do that like mock uh, Kickstarter campaign to buy the Redskins and to give it back to the That's town, great. like the Green Bay Packers. And I still maintain when I talk to people that root for the Washington football team, that if you are a true fan, you will root against them. Well, what's in it for Snyder at this point? To money. just be completely he makes a loved, lot of money on it, but just sell it though. He's can have even more money. Problem is, he's a hardcore fan. Yeah, think he feels bad though. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, think you need to put together a conglomerate of rich Asians. 
and try to put together the first Asian sports ownership block. I don't know. And then make that part of the play. He's never going to sell. He's only like 51. People forget he bought the team when he was like 34. And you brought up the question, does he feel bad? Can someone that doesn't feel guilt feel bad? I don't think so. Well, remember when I wrote the column, I did all the math because he was like 46 <laughs> when I wrote it. It's like, he could be 79. That's 33 years from now. He might still own the team. That's the year 2049 or whatever it was. How Jesus. bad, oh, man. Here's a problem. What happens if he turns it around? What happens if he sees the light and he becomes a great owner? I don't Do you- think it's going to happen. I think, I think when you failed for this long, it's not an accident after a while. He just doesn't seem to understand anything about what it would take. And he seems to have a really, really bad hiring picker, which matters in my opinion. This is the problem with James Dolan. He might be a good businessman. He just doesn't know how to hire people. Bruce Allen is a horrible GM. And he's still there. I hate the fact that you have Bill Belichick. I love it. I mean, he's, he's my, I love him, but like, God my life would be so much better, maybe 20% better if the Redskins were a tenth as solid as the New England Patriots. There was this clip online this week because Belichick had casually mentioned that Odell Beckham was going to be pretty bored on Sunday in the Cleveland game. Because what he does is if the other team's best receiver, he just double teams them. He takes them out. And then he puts his best cornerback on the team's second best receiver. He uses two guys to shut out the other one. So this clip circulated of Chad Ochocinco Johnson when he was good and it's before the game and Belichick goes up to him and they have this handshake and he's like, you're going to be pretty bored today, Chad. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm doubling you. You're not getting the ball. And he's like, what do you mean? Really? He's like, yeah, you're going to have a bad day. I'm sorry. And he's like, are you, are you messing with me right now? It's like, no, we're doubling you. You're not going to catch the ball today. And he walked away and Chad was like, what the hell just happened? He was like, he got hit by a car. And guess what? He probably didn't catch the ball that game. That's what they're going to do to Odell. He's just smarter than everybody else. I think he wants Brady to leave. I think, At this well, point. What, what happens if Brady leaves? What well, do you there's feel? all this Brady stuff now yeah. about how he sold his house. Alex Guerrero, the witch doctor, sold his house. They, uh, the Schefter like, move markets like by, by talking about that on, on, no, on TV? This is, people in Massachusetts knew about this already because he, he put his house for sale a while ago. Once he did that, that raised the red flags. But he's going to be 43 what next team, year. What team would sign him? He's going to be 43. What team would sign him? Let's just say he loses the Pats. Who would he go to? But I, I think he's going to re- – I think he would retire over – What team needs a QB that is pretty good? Well, it would have to be a big enough city for him, right? Like he can't go to Tennessee – you would have to go to like Los Angeles or Chicago or, you know, a big metropolitan Chicago. city to get lost mm. in. We should start that right now. Chicago the, Bears? Chicago Bears going to sign Tom Brady Michigan next guy. year. Michigan guy. Michigan guy. Well, that's the other thing. Maybe he's going to be the new Michigan. Coming home. You can play that song. Stu Gatz. I did Stu Gatz's podcast. He threw this one out. Michigan coach. Ooh. Because... Player coach. Michigan college football coach, yeah. He's a six-year of eligibility. But yeah, it, it does feel like the Brady-Belichick thing's coming around. But it, and what's crazy is it's been 20 years of my life. It's like yeah, how the opposite with Dan Snyder. It's been 20 terrible years of your life. When we got Brady and Belichick together, I was still living in Boston. I wasn't even married yet. Kyle was like five. Oh, come on. We've had the worst Do you want to hear the greatest Kyle story when he was a kid? I would love all oh, Kyle shit. stories. We went, I just started dating my wife 
and we went to her house for Thanksgiving and Kyle was like, he had to have been like seven or eight. And it was one of those million family members around. Kyle did something that made his dad mad. And <laughs> we walked by it and Kyle was sitting on the stairs. His dad was kind of talking to him, yelling at him, reasoning with him. And he's like, you're going to stay here until you have an answer for what you did. And Kyle goes, but what if I don't have an answer? What if there's no answer? And, and the dad goes, you're just going to think about the answer. And he walked away. And Kyle was just on the stairs like, I don't have an answer. <laughs> and we joked about this for like five years after me and my wife. We'd be like, I don't have an answer. And now he's producing this podcast. If that's not a heartwarming story, I don't know what it is. Kyle, maybe he found the answer. Maybe Kyle can buy the Washington Redskins. <laughs> maybe he could. Maybe one day. There's hope for Kyle. Um, who's the worst owner in sports, in your opinion? Dan Snyder. Who's the worst owner in the NBA? The dude that owns the Suns, right? Robert Sarver. Dolan's probably second. At least Dolan spends money and, you know, I, I think Sarver's worse. Why... What makes him so bad? Um, let's see. You've talked about it a lot. Well, what makes an NBA owner bad is usually changing your plan quickly. So you hire a coach, then you fire that coach a year later, which they did last year. Having a GM and then all of a sudden you have another GM. Going in on these plans, like that year when the Suns had three point guards, and they were like, this is going to work. And then it was a disaster. Um when they take a chance, like they drafted the Josh Jackson fourth and he lasted two years, you know, that not seeming as Here's understand a, red flags with rookies, how, overpaying how, guys. Who, how did everyone miss, miss on Josh Jackson? Well, there were red flags. I think people look at the talent versus the red flags and they cross their fingers. You know, the question is, if you're bringing a red flag guy in, you have to have the organization that could kind of help him those first couple of years. And obviously they didn't. If the Celtics drafted him over Jalen Brown, do you think they would have turned him into a good player? It was the Tatum. It was the Tatum, Tatum, Tatum draft. draft. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he would have had a better chance. I don't know. Ultimately, if, if there's something like deeply flawed in a human being who plays basketball, it's going to come out anyway, but I'm so jealous of the whole new England sports area. Well, here's the it's thing. Unbelievable. With the thing with Belichick, He's the only one who's actually figured out how the league works, where you don't want to just go all in like the Rams are doing on like six guys with huge contracts. Like that's like the, he does the opposite. He wants to like have a whole bunch of guys making five to eight million a year. And he wants to have a lot of draft picks and he just wants depth and the ability to be able to move and take risks that are really like even the Antonio Brown thing. It was like a one year risk. You know, and if it didn't work, it didn't work. But he never wants, like to him, like the worst case scenario would be Todd Gurley paying him $40 million or whatever Todd Gurley makes. And then he has arthritis right after. I love him. Todd Gurley? Well, listen, no, I love Belichick. And even that story, I was listening to Rusillo's podcast and uh, and uh, what's his name? Howie Longson talking about how- Chris Long. Chris Long takes the, said that Belichick sits in coach. God damn. That was inspirational shit. Yeah. I was like, fuck. That is why he's the goat. What kind of celebs are coming into Major Domo in LA? I don't. There was you getting there, is there like there a is there celeb scene? There is, uh, and I don't. There was someone last night. He's the 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 
the the the evil CEO on uh, Silicon Valley. He was there last night. Oh, Gavin. You, yeah, Gavin, Sweet. that kind of celebrity. You don't so you don't get like Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, and Todd Gurley. Um, I wish. I here's a good story. I heard that before uh, Sam Darnold had mono, he was eating by himself at Peter Luger's. Really, just crushing a porterhouse steak. I support that. Yeah, I thought, wow. He had no assistant, no friends, solo porterhouse for two by himself. I was like, Have oh. you thought about the Peter Luger business plan of it's either cash or you have to buy a, a Dave Chang Major Domo uh, Media credit card? It. It's gangster. I love it. I love it so it's much. It's really great. Um, it's, I know multiple people have Peter Luger credit cards. It's like a fuck you paywall. Wait, it really you know? is. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, they. It's this restaurant. It's cash. Steak, right? It's so cash only or... Cash only or buy the Peter Luger credit card. You can pay with that. That's and that's it. They don't want your American Express MasterCard. And people do it. And it's packed every night. I'll tell you a food trend. Mm. We've jumped all over the place. Yeah. But this is what I hope is a food trend. I've talked about it on our podcast, on my podcast. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. So um, we talked about the Sushi Bro. Um but I feel that one of the things that you see happening in Japan and a lot of the top, top restaurants, because so many foreigners, particularly Americans, are such bad customers. They're loud, obnoxious, and rude. These restaurants that people want to ha- eat at because like the best in whatever, sushi or ramen, not ramen, but like sushi, they're just not offering reservations anymore. They're just, they're done. <laughs> you can't get a table. You have to be invited. Oh, that's like that one place in LA where the guy, yeah, he he has to call you and then you're allowed to eat there. And that has always existed, but you're beginning to see, I think, a slow movement that's- Oh, that should be tra- your next restaurant. I know. I'm trying to figure out how to do it without coming across three as a tables. Because like- it's I'll not- invite you to my three table restaurant. You're not like, you're only getting an invite if you're a good eater. It has nothing to do with income or status. Are you a good eater? And then that's the only way you get to eat at that restaurant. Eater drinker or just eater? I think eater. Right? You just appreciate how to dine out and you're good. It's like you're a good basketball fan or something, right? And I think So if you said no no soy sauce, please, on this dish, and then you saw them sneaking the soy sauce on it, they're out. They're never. Not only are back. you out. Like if you I, know if you out. were my guest, yeah. You'd be thrown out. I would lose my my ability to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. It's like it's pretty amazing. It's almost like, um, you know, I've heard you talk about it and I went to the Masters too. It's almost Masters like when you get to Augusta National and it's like, you better behave or you're out. <laughs> well, golf country clubs are like that, right? I don't, yeah, but I think more so on Augusta National. Like you, if you're at the Masters and you whip out your cell phone, you're banned. Yeah. Forever. You should be. You should actually be murdered. <laughs> right. That's amazing. It's so peaceful there. Keep your cell phone and somewhere else. And like, you just have to sort of follow protocol. And I think there's something really wonderful about going to a restaurant and you're just going there to dine and there's no bullshit. And imagine being in a room of people where it's incredibly diverse, it's inclusive, but the only way to get there is you're a good person. That would be sick. Well, you know, when I take my kids out to dinner, they have to leave their phones at at the house. That's one of my rules. If we're going out to dinner, we have to talk to each other. And you have to think about the food and talk about it. Wow. It's pretty good, right? It's, it's a good, good parent role. Do you think that I'm not saying I'm the best parent, by the way. 
Oh, by the way, that this is we're wrapping up, so we got to do Parent Corner. I, I can finally. You have Emperor Hugo as your son. I can the finally, best Instagram model uh, on the planet right now. He is uh, your parent. You want to do one about poop? Yeah, we can talk about poop. Wait, all does he have solid long. poops yet? I How think they come he? out as solid, but there's so much poop that gets pushed in the diaper, it turns immediately into soft poo. How <laughs> old is he? He's almost eight months. Oh, so when they hit like pretty close to a year and they start having more human food? No, he's eating human food. Oh, that's when the poop starts to become actual poops. Yeah, but it's, it's they're big, big poos. Really big. He, we were calculating his calories in the morning. Yeah. So right now he eats four ounces of yogurt and some like, Fruit, fruit fruit puree, uh, egg yolk, a hard boiled egg yolk, and some egg white, and then essentially half an avocado for breakfast. So he, <laughs> it's crazy. So he's in on like the same diets that people eat when they're about to film a superhero movie and they have to put on 35 pounds of muscle. Yeah, we calculated the calories. We're like, he ate more food than us calorie wise for breakfast. Like we have like a bowl of oatmeal or something, and he's just going to town. And then he has a, like eight ounces of milk an hour later to go to bed. So the poos in the morning are just crazy. And I'm terrified if there's not a poo in the morning, because that means there's going to be something. A double poo later. Oh, man. Like, you know, you hear about it. You see it on comedy shows or just these dad jokes. And now they're so much funnier. It's like when I watched When Harry Met Sally when I was like 12. And I was like, I don't know why people find this funny. And then yeah. now throughout you know, as I get older, like, oh, this is so good. And now I get every stupid dad joke possible and all the poop jokes because um, it's funny. It's real. It it's, was so far away for me when we went through that. And that, and I think you block a lot of it out. Like, a, <laughs> like it's traumatic, but like the, the, my son, especially would just blow through diapers and uh, you know, he's walking around and he's got poop, but like poop dripping down the side yeah. of his leg. And you're just, it's like you're in a war. You're just trying to clean up, There's clean poo. up the soldier. It's really poo. It's everywhere. disgusting. I don't even. It's really hard to describe. Again, I'm late to this game being it's a dad. I cannot believe how much poo gets all up his backside, <laughs> down his th- yeah, leg. Yeah, the back. That's another one. Oh man, I don't miss any of this. Like, and I'm now careful not to hold him just in case there is poo in the morning. You got to get him at the right angle so it doesn't like fall out of the diaper. The other weird thing is the sound of a baby crying which you eventually just, for some reason, you just get used to. But then when they get older and they stop crying and you'll be on an airplane and you hear a baby crying, you get nostalgic for the pain of when your kids were like a nightmare. I can't explain it. It's very strange. Um, I had my first travel uh, like uh, night meltdown with uh, with Hugo on a plane. That's that's really and you became your worst you nightmare. Be, you become that guy. It's the worst. Yeah. The worst Everyone fucking hates you. thing. It's the worst. You want to literally... If you, I was thinking, if there was a parachute on my back, yeah, I would jump out of the fucking like, like, like James Bond. <laughs> I just would get out. That was all I was thinking. I was like, how does this end? What happens? We had this when Zoe was like 16, 15, 16 months. We were on a plane and it stopped on the runway. It didn't take off. And she was overtired and she wanted the plane to take off and it didn't. And she just lost it. And they hit a point when, you look in their eyes and there's just nothing there. You're just st- you're staring into a black hole and their eyes are like, they're so tired from crying and they're just, they're looking through you. Everyone on the plane is just, it's the fucking worst. It's the worst. It was the worst probably 40 minutes of my life that weren't sports related. 
<laughs> and I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, we're going to try to figure out how not to travel at all with, with Hugo. Like, trust me, like my wife has been an angel, but she just, well, my wife has some hottest takes on this <laughs> about travel. Yeah. She's a big children's Benadryl. Oh, wow. Yeah. You kind of knock them out a little bit. That's smart. Which I don't know if it's smart. It's probably, there's probably somebody in the internet you know, like, that's terrible. You know, if you have to think about this, if this is a, like a, a moral dilemma, I think to knock out your kid with Benadryl or is a moral, morally or right choice for everyone else around you. Yeah. You're making the right decision. If I anyone think, thinks otherwise, they're wrong. I forget which one it was, but it was whatever made, made them a little, they made them a little sleepy. They're prone. And you also have to time the nap cycle to when you're actually about to take off is the other thing I remember. Wow. All I know is, and I'm learning this quickly, whatever my wife tells me to do in regards to Hugo, I have to do it. We used to give <laughs> we used to give Ben fentanyl. Is that bad? <laughs> it explains so much. <laughs> I joke. Uh, all right. So Netflix show, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check it out. Enjoy. Have fun. A lot of laughs. A lot of good food. Ugly Delicious is coming back early next year. Yep. I don't know if people know this. I'm no. going to be on one of the episodes. Oh, yeah. Uncle Me Bill's and Greater Cho. Greater Cho and Uncle Bill, they're eating something that is... Uh, you don't don't say it. Don't spoil it. I'll just say it's got some age to it. Mm. When are you going to have Cho on your podcast to do Parent Corner Special Edition? I think, Cho reproduced as well, successfully. I think Cho has and retired. Legally, somehow. Cho has retired. From everything? Everything. Everything. I, I told you that was going to happen. He is I done. said he was going to have a kid and nobody would ever hear from him again. I mean, literally, he. it's impossible to know anything about him. Just to get him to do anything now is an impossibility. He's he's literally like Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's just disappeared. He's probably just painting weird pictures of his kid. Actually, I think he is painting again. Yeah. I bet it inspired him. This is great. Uh, good luck with your show. Don't Thank forget you. to listen Thanks to the the Dave Chang Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. And, uh, and that's it. All right. Thanks to Joe House and Dave Chang. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to NBA TV. NBA opening week continues tomorrow with a triple header on, on NBA TV. Heat Bucks. That tips off the night in Milwaukee. Celtics Knicks at Madison Square Garden. And then Clippers, Suns, capping the night off in Phoenix. Coverage begins at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBA TV and in the NBA app. I will be trying to watch as much of that as I possibly can. Enjoy the weekend back Sunday night with the cuz until then. <laughs>